<clears throat> Man, praise the Lord. That's good. Amen. Well, I hope that um, over these last couple nights you've been thinking about your measure and uh, where you're at and where the Lord would have you to be. And uh, specifically, how is God going to have you increase uh, your measure? And I want to encourage you uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, you know, I know it's missions conference, and so sometimes with the missions conference, you know, we think, okay, the preaching Sunday morning is going to be, uh, you know, missiony. So probably not going to want to bring anyone to that. Uh, I'm going to we're going to lift up Christ Sunday morning, and uh, and we're going to we're going to I'll tell you we're going to preach on Jesus the faithful witness. And I think it'll be something if you have someone you've been trying to get to come, maybe they missed Easter, you know, they made the promise they didn't show up. Maybe you can call them on that and they can come uh, Sunday morning. And I want to encourage you about that. And we're going to lift high the name of Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Uh, and he's still doing that. And so I want to encourage you about that. All right, well, let's take our Bibles. And if you're able to stand tonight, stand and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, for anyone who's been around missions, missions conferences, uh, in independent Baptist circles, a lot of this, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, you've heard a lot of, but I want to labor on a, a portion of this. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's been preached, um, but I haven't really ever heard some of this preached, and I want to draw out something, and I, I really believe it's going to be a blessing and an encouragement uh, to you tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the experiment of this ministration... They glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I want to preach on this subject tonight, faith promise and praises to God. Faith promise and praises to God. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful tonight to look out into an auditorium and to see a lot of people here tonight. And they're here because they love you. They're here because they know that you want them here. And I, I pray that tonight you would, I pray that tonight that you would use your word to be a blessing, to encourage them. I pray, Father, that, that this message, above all, would remind us of how wise you are, about how big you are, and we'd walk out of here to a degree, just once again, blown away by your glory. Bless the preaching, we pray in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. amen. You, you come to 2 Corinthians, and you come to chapters 8 and 9, uh, and verse 1 of chapter 9 kind of sets the table of what chapter 8 and 9 really is all about. He says in verse 1 of chapter 9, For as touching the ministering to the saints. Chapters 8 and 9 is written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth, 
specifically about the ministering to the saints. Now, not just ministering to all the saints in every place, but he's specifically talking about ministering to the saints in the church of Jerusalem. Many of you no doubt know that that as this was written, uh, what had taken place is you have the church in Jerusalem. Uh, the church really that Jesus Christ established and, and uh, where the apostles were. And from that first church that Jesus established, you had the church of Antioch uh, as they sent Barnabas to plant that or to affirm and to organize the church of Antioch. And then through that, all the other churches had been birthed uh, through that movement. And so it all comes back to Jesus Christ and the first church that he established. And that church was going through a very difficult time uh, during this time of scripture. They, they had went through a time of famine. And, and it's, a, it's a real deal. They don't have the United Nations during this day. It's not like, okay, Jerusalem, suddenly the, the, the rain's not coming. There's a moraine amongst the animals, their disease. And so the United States of America is going to be there. There is no United States of America. There, there, there is no government to help them. And so during a time of famine, you die if food is not provided. And so here they are. They're in the midst of the famine. And so the Apostle Paul knows about it. And he begins to send correspondence out to the various churches that he's either started or had something to do with. And he makes them aware. He says, look, here's what's going on to the church of Jerusalem. And all the churches knew about the church of Jerusalem. And, and I believe probably had a sense of debtedness and, and a sense of love for those people. Because that's where it really all began. And he says, listen, these people are starving. Uh, they are going through a famine. And what we need to do is we need to uh, have churches raise up some money... And spend about a year and, and put that money aside. And I'm going to come through and I'm going to strategically map this out. And me and some other men who are appointed by the local churches, we're going we're gonna to move around to each church and we're going to take an offering from you specifically for the relieving of the saints in the church of Jerusalem. And you can imagine as the church of Corinth is sitting in the congregation and the pastors reading that letter to them, they were moved. I mean, they were stirred. I mean, they're hearing about these Christians that are hungry. They're hearing about these Christians who have no money. They're hearing about these Christians who do not have the ability to sustain themselves. And so the response was significant. They were, he would use the word, they were forward. They, they had a mind to give. They had a desire to give uh, abundantly and, and out of love and, and out of generosity. And so they made a commitment. I mean, and it was big. And, and, and the church of Corinth had a lot of means to do this, and so they send the message back to Paul. We are all in on that. But you know what comes? Time. Um, and you know what happens with time? Emotions wear down. The, 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 the sense of urgency and the rawness of the condition and that feeling of sympathy that you have, this is just natural over time, it begins to diminish. And as time began to wear on, their disposition began to change. You see this in chapter 8. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. 
Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. And then you look at chapter 9, and look what he says in verse 6. And he's using these words specifically. He's not just throwing words out there. He says, but, I, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. We'll see that word again later. For God loveth the cheerful giver. So you start to read the letter and you kind of get the impression of what happened. That when they started, they were cheerful. When they started, they were bountiful. When they started, they were generous. But as time began to press away, the emotions of it, the rawness of it began to fade. And they began to get more grudging about it. They began to get more sparing about it. Like, okay, we'll give, but we're going to back this train up a little bit. Because you know what happens? Listen, do you know what happens when, when, when emotion fades? You have to pay bills. You with me? And you look at your kids and you think about, man, you know, it's like my son, every time I turn around, he's high-watering his pants. And it's not because we buy him short pants, it's because he's in a growth spurt. And so you know what happens when you turn around and your son grows and, and you're looking at him you're like, man, we got to give him some new britches. you got to pay for that. Where's that money going to come from? Well, we committed a lot of money. Are you with me? And, and so they began to hold back. They began to be more sparing. And, and then Paul keys in in verse 12. Paul knows their thinking. He knows their mindset and he describes it in verse 12. And we're going to build on this. He says this. For the administration of this service, what service? The giving to the people of Jerusalem, not only supplieth the wants of the saints. Okay, do you know why Paul said this not only supplies the wants of the saints? Because that's all they saw it as. They only saw what they were doing as, listen to his language, the administration of this service to supply the saints' needs. Okay, here's what had happened. They get, they get the news about the church of Jerusalem. And they're stirred by it. Time begins to elapse. And they have, they have needs and they have life. And, and they begin to view the gifts for the church of Jerusalem as the administration of this service to meet their necessity. Can I use this word? It became a transaction. It became a payment. It was like, look, fact, they need money. Fact, we have money. So, conclusion, let's pay the bill. It became, a, listen, it became the administration of the service of paying the need. Now, now let me just say it, that's true. That's true, that's what they were doing. But you know what? You know what I have found in life? Transactions, we don't get super pumped about bills. Hey, I pay my mortgage every month, and I, I'm very thankful to have a house to pay mortgage on, but I don't remember the last time I gave my wife a high five, said, look, at, we're about to pay this thing right now. Are you with me? I, I like electricity. I like, you know, sewage and all that. But I don't remember last time, you know, I was grooving in the living room and my son's like, why are you so pumped? And I said, I just paid the electricity bill. 
We don't get excited about transactions. We don't get excited about, we don't get excited about payments. And so what happened to the church is the more that they viewed it as, well, they have a need. Well, we got to pay the rent. Well, we got to pay the mortgage. Well, we got to keep the lights on. The more it became a payment, the more the, listen, the more the joy of giving diminished. Now, can I say this? That if all, if all giving was, was simply paying the need, it would be, it would be enough of a reason. But, but listen, I've been, I've, been, uh, in, I've been a Christian, and I've been a pastor long enough from my own personal life to know this. You know, missions conference comes around, I get, I get fired up. You get fired up, I get fired that video, That video was powerful, brother. It was clear, and it was powerful. And, I mean, it spoke to me. Seeing all those people with the crosses and, and all the lights of the people. Cro- I mean, that spoke to me. So you have a missions conference. You get fired up. You're excited. You see the Hetzer family. Man, they got to go to Sri Lanka and the McCormick's and church planning. And so we make a commitment and we're fired up. And we don't feel bad about it. I mean, we're thinking, how can we rearrange stuff and move stuff? But six months in, you don't feel the Hetzer family anymore. You feel, you feel man... Uh, Disney Plus is coming. We got to get that so our kids can have some Disney movies to watch. They're like, we don't do that. Okay, you get the point. There's something. Because there's always something coming. Oh, man, my tires are bald. Not, mine aren't, but you know what I'm saying. We got we to put some tires on the car. And you know what happens? You start writing that check every month. It's like tithe, check. Faith promise, check. Mortgage, check. Electricity, check. And you know what begins to happen in faith promise? You lose the joy and the bountiful desire of it. You know what happens? We have less days where we're like, man, we're giving to faith promise today. Babe, did you put that check in there? Yes, I'm excited about that. Someone might be like, I've never been that way. Right, because a lot of times all we see it as is an administration of the service to meet the necessity of the saints. Now look, if that's all it was, it would be worth doing. If that's all it was, was we're going to meet the necessity of the missionary so that they have a need, we're going to meet it so they can get the job done. If that's all it was, it would still be right to do so. But Paul knows this. Joy, motivation comes when we go from transactional to relational. Do you hear what I said tonight? There is much more joy. There, there is much more motivation. There is much more bountifulness when you go from transactional to relational. And the Apostle Paul wants them to see the wide scope of the relational in what they're doing. And he's going to build this. And we're going to work through this. Just follow me. We're, it's going to be good. Just you got to go with me on this. So look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work as it is written. He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Paul here is quoting Psalm 112 verse 3, and, and here is what he is reminding them. He is reminding them that 
that as God's people, every day they wake up and they have needs. They, they have to feed, they have to eat, they have to have clothing, they have to have a mortgage, they have to have all these things. And he's reminding them that God is the one who meets their needs. He is reminding them that God has provided for them. And what he does is he speaks about, he goes to the very basic form of economy. If you break down economy to the most simplest form, you know what you have? A seed being sown in the ground. A seed being sown in the ground. Here I am. I'm hungry. I've got a wife. I've got a kids. I'm in the Old Testament times. I'm in the New Testament times. We have to eat and live and survive. Well, where, where, where is the most basic form of economy? Seed that goes in the earth, that is tilled, that is cultivated, that is watered, that brings a harvest. From that harvest we live from that harvest we eat, from that harvest we trade, from that harvest we sell. He is reminding the church this, that God is the one who meets our needs through economy. And can I say, God had really blessed the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth, the city of Corinth was positioned in one of the most um, emerging and bustling areas of economy in the known world at that time. Corinth was sitting on what's called a land isthmus. It was only four miles wide. It was long, but only four miles wide. And, and what, what would happen is tradesmen and merchantmen could come from Italy or they could come from Turkey and they could bring their, they could bring their goods that they're trading. And rather than going all the way under, they could come to Corinth, put their ships on skis and carry them four miles to the other side, and it would give access to Italy and access to Turkey. And so as a result, Corinth became the center of trade and the center of commerce. And you can read, you can read all about the city, even in, in just secular history. And there were businessmen, and, and really in a lot of ways, capitalism was booming. And the Apostle Paul is reminding them, you, listen, you have needs, and you need to be taken care of. And God has provided for you. How did he do that? He puts you in Corinth. He gave you economy. He gave you business. He gave you trade. He puts you in the central flow. And so God is giving you seed. And he is blessing you for it. And so, so what are they supposed to do with that? Well, verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes us Thanksgiving to God. Do you know what the church of Corinth is supposed to do? They're supposed to look at the city that they're in. They're supposed to look at the wealth that they have. They're supposed to look at the financial situation. They're supposed to look at the booming economy. And they're supposed to recognize that it wasn't their innovation that created it. It wasn't their ability to trade that created it. God gave them the ability to trade. God gave them the physical ability to work. God gave them the innovation. All through the Old Testament, we're reminded that God gives the innovation of the mind. And God gave them all that so they should praise him for blessing them. Hey, we live in America. God's blessed us with economy. You're like, well, you ain't seen my economy. No, 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 no. If you live in America... And listen, and you are one of the lowest earn income earners in America. You are still in the top 5% of the most wealthy people in the world. God's given you economy. I served in El Paso, Texas for 
almost four years as a youth pastor, and oftentimes I would drive down the freeway. On one side of the freeway is Mexico, on the other side of El Paso, uh, the other side is El Paso, and I can't even tell you how many times I'd look over at Mexico and think, if I had just been born a, a half a mile over, how much different would my life look? Are you with me tonight? If you live in America, and, 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 and you have a job, or you own a business, or, or, or you're into tech, you're like, well, that's farming stuff. No, no, no. I, I, you know, I'm into tech things. No, no, no. God gave you the brain for it. God gave you the strength for it. What, whatever you're doing in life, God has met your needs through the ability to have economy and the ability to engage in economy. He has met your needs. And our response should be this. Praise his name for it. Thank you, God, for giving me this mind. Thank you, God, for giving me an engineer mind, which I do not have at all. But to the person who has that, thank you, God, for giving me the mind of an engineer. Thank you, God, for giving me leadership skills and ability. Thank you, God, for this business and this corporation. Thank you, God, for all that you have given. All of us have been given seed to sow, to reap a harvest. So God, so God, he's reminding them that God blessed his people through economy. Okay. Um, but Jerusalem was also God's people. The church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem was just as much God's people as the church in Corinth. Would you agree with that? But you know what they didn't have? Economy. The, the definition of famine would be no economy, no seed, no harvest, no, no, no food. But he's, no, 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 but he's still their God. And he's going to provide for them. And he's going to take care of them. How is he going to do that? Verse 13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they, speaking of the church of Jerusalem, glorify God for your professed subjection of the gospel of Christ... And for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. So here is the church of Jerusalem. Here are the people of Jerusalem. And, and they don't have economy. They don't have money. They don't have resources. But God is still their God. And God's going to meet their needs. And God's going to take care of them. So how's God going to do that? Not through economy. Do you know what God's going to do? God's going to take care of them through his people in Corinth who he's given economy to. God is going to use his people to supply the need of the church in Jerusalem. Now, how in the world do you get a people in Corinth or anywhere to give of their money to another group of people who have need? How does that work? Verse 13, whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel. Do you know how a church of how the church of Corinth meets the need of the church of Jerusalem? By their subjection to the gospel. You're like, okay, that sounds good. What does that mean? Look at chapter 8, verse 9. For you know, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty ye might be rich. Okay, here's subjection to the gospel. Jesus existed in heaven as, eternally as God. God the Son with all wealth 
and all glory and all honor and all praise and all power. He had all wealth and he looked to humanity who had, listen, who had no spiritual wealth, no ability to please God, no ability to walk with God. They were impoverished spiritually. So Jesus gave up all of that in heaven and he came to earth and he took on the form of a man, uh, became a man and took on the form of a servant and he died on a cross emptying himself of those things. And he died, why? So that we through his poverty might have the riches of forgiveness, the riches of salvation, the riches of eternal life. And so what makes a believer give? Well, a believer looks at the example of Jesus in having rich, having wealth, and giving so that we can have spiritual wealth and says, I am going to subject to that example. I am going to follow Jesus and I will take of the wealth that I have and I will give to the poor so that they can have what they do not have. Do you know what moved the church of Corinth to give to the church of Jerusalem and every other church? The example of Jesus Christ. That's what moves, what moves, what moves Christians to, to give and, and to sacrifice the giving and sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our example. So, so, so they... So they would give. So, so here you have two groups of people. You have the Church of Corinth, and God is the Church of Corinth, and God is meeting their needs through economy. But you have the Church of Jerusalem, and they're God's people, but He is going to meet their need through people. Specifically, people in local churches. That's how missions gets done. Okay. Live illustration. For the last five and a half years, I pastored West Valley Baptist Church in Nampa, Idaho. Had a salary, medical, a house, we had a building, we had lights, we had bulletins, we had all that stuff. Where did all that come from? Economy. Came through God's people working, sacrificing, and tithing, and giving. And West Valley Baptist Church was able to support pastoral staff and the building and all those things through the power of God through economy. September 30th was my last day as, as the pastor of West Valley Baptist Church to surrender to being a missionary to go to the field of Sri Lanka. You know what Sri Lanka does not have? Economy. But David Hetzer still has needs. I go on deputation. I need a car, and I need gas, a place to stay. I still need to feed my children, clothe my children. You with me tonight? But, Dave, but, but David, uh, you don't have economy, right? So do you know what God does? God speaks to churches who take on the example of Jesus Christ, who was rich and made himself poor, and they give of their economy to help meet my needs. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Philippians 4. When he says, look, you met my needs to the church of Philippi. You met my needs through giving and receiving. The Apostle Paul steps out and he doesn't have economy. So churches like the church of Philippi, through the subjection of Christ, they gave so that Paul could have what he needed. God met Paul's needs through the economy of the church that he blessed them with. That's how missions works. Okay. Which leads me to ask this question, and this is where we're going tonight. Why does God do that? 
Can I be honest? I really enjoy, enjoyed being able to live off economy. And there's some humbling dynamics to looking to people to supply my needs. Are you with me tonight? So my thought is, God, why don't you just bless Sri Lanka? Blow them up so that we don't have to do this. Why for two, now think about this. Why for 2,000 years have you had churches where you've blessed them with economy and churches without it? Do we not think that God is able to bless all churches with economy? He certainly is. So why is it, God, that you've allowed this to take place? And the answer is God's wiser than me. And God has a plan that is, <laughs> that is far bigger than my head works. I want you to see the two things that God does through this. Verse 13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they, the church of Jerusalem, glorify God for your, the church of Corinth, profess subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them, and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Okay. The church of Jerusalem were real people. They're real dads, real moms, children, families. And they're starving. They're not, listen, and they're not sure, they're not sure where provision's coming from. I want you to imagine when the Apostle Paul shows up, and I don't know how all this happened, but the Apostle Paul shows up and he has the funds or the supply to their need. And I want you to picture that church in Jerusalem as the offering comes in and, and, and I want you to imagine that, that first night as the father and the wife and the children gather around the table and the dad is looking at food to feed his family. And he knows this, that some churches clear across the world gave so that we could have bread tonight. What does that do for him? Well, verse 14 tells us, he said the church of Jerusalem prays for them and longs in their hearts after them. Can you hear the family as they pray over that meal that night? God, thank you for the church of Corinth. God, thank you for those churches of Macedonia. We know the people of Macedonia, they don't even have any money, but they gave so that we could, God, thank you for them. Can you hear, can you hear their affection? Can you hear their love? Can you hear now this great care and devotion for these churches, most of the people that they've never seen, they've never met? Can you hear that family, that mom and that dad as they go to bed that night and they're crying and they're rejoicing and they're saying, how is it that a church all the way across the world would give so that we could eat? How could that be? Can you hear their longing and love for the churches? So I step out in deputation. Um, takes money. And uh, my church helped me transition out. You know, gave, gave some money for the first couple months. 
But you know what the reality is? I still have bills, and I still have to pay bills, and I still have to take care of my family. I'm a dad. I need to provide for my family, and now I have no economy. Every month I get from the mission secretary at Southwest Baptist Church a sheet, a spreadsheet. It's called a redistribution report. And on that sheet I have the names of the churches and the pastors and the amounts given to support us or to give up glove offerings, to help us here on deputation and also on the mission field. Let me ask you a question here. What do you think goes on in my mind as I look at that spreadsheet and I see Temple Baptist Church, El Dorado? Riverside Baptist Church, St. Joseph, Missouri. Oakwood Baptist Church in South Carolina. Northway Baptist Church in Scottsdale. Put a little vop. Are you with me, North Valley Baptist? What do you think that does for me? Makes me have a love for those churches and an appreciation for those churches, and a heart for those churches. Okay, let's go further. Let's go, let's go to Sri Lanka. And go to some village in Sri Lanka where they've been praying and they've been needing a three-wheeler, a rickshaw, to get around, to go up into the high country, to, to, to witness to people and give the gospel to people. And, and they've been saving money. But for every, for every uh, 187 rupees, it's the equivalent of one U.S. dollar. And a rickshaw is probably $11,000. So they're, they're not going to buy a rickshaw. But then Brother Unruh shows up and says, hey, Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City wrote a check to take care of that rickshaw. What do you think those Christians meeting in that, that, that concrete building with no carpet, and their sandals at the front door, they have disheveled clothes, they have no money. What do you think goes on in those Christians' lives? Man, praise God for that church clear across the world of people we don't even know, and they've given to help us have this ability. What about the pastors who, who have cases of Bibles and cases of tracts and they purchase a building and all that money came in. Can, can you picture the, uh, a church in a village in Africa? They, they, they're meeting in a shack and they've built this, 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 makeshed, this makeshift shed, but the money and the provision came. And this for the first time, these people are not meeting under a tree. They're meeting under a roof and they have a building and they have hymns and they have Bibles and that money came from churches in a far distant land of people they'll never meet and never see. Can you hear them sing in their tongue? Can you hear them praise? Can you hear their affection for Christians who've given to them meet their needs? Do you know what God does? The first thing that God does, it's kind of an important thing to the Lord. Love your, listen, to love your brother, one of the top two commandments, isn't it? God creates a love and an affection and an attachment in people all over the world through faith promise giving. Rather than having churches in America and churches in Africa and churches in Alaska and they're all doing their own thing and they don't interlap and they don't see each other and there's no devotion and there's no connection. Do you know what God wants? God wants love. He wants care for one another. He wants devotion for one another. And so he uses his people to meet other people's needs. And through that, he is connecting them. He is bringing an appreciation and to love, and to care for one another. Listen, through, when you give to faith promise, understand that there is a church, there is a church planner, they are re rejoicing in your gifts. Um, 
this is right in your wheel, Northway Baptist Church. I've been in that building. It's one of the, listen, it is one of the nicest buildings I've been in on deputation. Ask, okay, ask, ask any member of Northway Baptist Church if they know where liberal Kansas is eight years ago. It's in Kansas. What do you think about it? They're probably a bunch of liberals. You, uh, ask them now. Ask them now, hey, do you know any good churches around liberal Kansas? You know, you'll see, you'll see eyes light up. You, you, you know, you'll see affection from people in Arizona, most of whom will never meet you. You know why they have an affection for you? Do you know why they praise God? Do you know, no, no. Do you know why they love you? Because God used you through your economy to meet their need. And every Sunday, and every Wednesday, and every conference, they meet in a miracle. And they know that there is a church in liberal Kansas that was stirred up to really give sacrificially to meet their needs. But that's not all there is. There's a, there, there, there's a, greater, there's a greater purpose to it all. I want you to see the last thing he says here. Verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints. Well, what else does it do, Paul? But is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Okay. Church of Jerusalem, Sunday morning service. Back up. Okay. When, when they were in a famine, do you know who they were looking to to help meet their need? God. I, knowing the, the, the way they were back then, I think they were probably having some serious prayer nights. And they were fasting, probably voluntarily, some not. You, they're fasting and praying to the God of heaven to meet their need that they have. Listen, the valve on economy has been shut off. They cannot supply the need. God must do it. Wonder what that first Sunday morning praise service sounded like when they sang the Psalms after all of the provision had been given to meet the, near, the needs of the Church of Jerusalem. I think they probably sang out with more passion and more joy and more thanksgiving than they'd probably sang in a long time. Do you know, do you know, do you know what happens in someone's life when God shuts the valve on economy in their life? And they look to God and they say, God, you're going to have to do this. I need your provision. And God provides. There's some serious praise and devotion and appreciation for God. When we started deputation, we had a 2009 Toyota Sienna, which we love. It was a great vehicle. Had over 200,000 miles. In the process of the transition, um, I spent all, all of my time really on the transition, and I knew God would just have to take care of our deputation. I just, <laughs> to transition, you've got to be all in. And so I had bought a trailer, and I mean, I, mean I, I hadn't really thought a whole lot about a lot of stuff, and we put the trailer on. It's just a little four by, uh, four by six, not a big trailer. We load it up, hook it onto the van, 
and we get going, and we're driving, and I go to slow down the freeway, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a problem. This van's not built for this. Especially considering we're in Idaho, we're about to go to Oklahoma, then from Oklahoma we're going to Kansas, and then from Kansas we're going to go to Tennessee. This is going to be interesting. We get to El Dorado, Kansas, we pull in, and many of you know uh, Brother Ron Jones and their church there, and we stay with a, a family, and, and uh, they take, they have mechanics in the church, and they, they use a dealership, and on Saturday they take all the missionaries' vehicles, and they update their um, oils, and you know, all the liquids and all that stuff. You can tell I know a lot about cars. <laughs> they, they, uh, they do all that stuff. I'm from California, okay? And uh, so they do all that. Well, anyway, the, the next day, Brother Jones comes to me. He kind of pulls me aside and says, look, Brother Hetzer, um, that van's really not going to work pulling a trailer and going on deputation. So we're just going to just take an offering tomorrow for, the, for, your, for a van. I mean, the church, the church is, you know, probably 300, 350 people. It's not a massive church. And so I'm thinking, okay, great. I mean, you know, this will be nice. And so he tells the church, he doesn't pump it really. just says, hey, be praying. We're going to have an offering uh, to help get the Hetzers a, uh, a vehicle. Sunday morning, Sunday night, offering. There's no songs devoted to the offering. There's no campaign. There's nothing. It's just an offering. Sunday night, <clears throat> 22,978 dollars came in. Did you, did you hear me? 22,978 dollars came in. And I'm driving a suburban, pulling a trailer. Let me ask you a question. How many times do you think I go out to that suburban and I look at it and I think, God, thank you. Hey, I don't like when economies shut off. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy economy. But can I be honest with you? I've probably never been more thankful and praised God more for his provision than when economy's been turned off. You, you put that check in the offering plate, that faith promise. Here's what you don't see. It goes out to missionaries. And they look... And they're, listen, and they're praising God for you, sustaining them. And they're purchasing things for these churches and villages and cities. And those churches are praising and rejoicing. And what we don't see is that we're doing more than just meeting the necessity of the saints. That as our faith promise goes out, God is stirring up love and affection for the Christian communities. And God is drumming up and stirring up worship and praise in tongues all over this earth. And Paul wants the church of Corinth to see this is much bigger than just meeting the supply of the saints. That this is, listen, that this is working to the abundant thanksgiving to God. You know what he knows? That if they will see their faith promise not as much transactional, but as relational, the cheerfulness and the bountifulness and the, and the, gen, the generosity will flow as they realize the impact that they're making on people 
human beings and the great adoration that their giving is bringing to God. Statement, your giving to others creates thanksgiving to God. Oh, they just, do we pay a faith promise? Yep. No, no, no. Your giving to others creates thanksgiving to God. Number one, see your faith promise as more than a payment. See it as bringing praise to God. Number two, understand there is a love and care people have all over the world for you because you give. And number three, give and increase your giving. Because the more you give, the more love to others and the more praises to God are a result. Our giving is more than a payment. It is a form of bringing praise to God. Let's pray. Father, I'm